chapter 7, 2 Corinthians 7, will be one verse of many that, uh, well, we'll see how far we get tonight. Um, but we're looking at a subject of a, of a word that's found in the Bible. You say, well, why are we looking at the uh, definition and understanding a, a certain word? Because the word is very important to understand clearly. You know, one of the big problems that we have with people, whether it's lost people, even in Christianity, is, is our definition of terms, words. A lot of people mean different things by, with, with different words. Someone talks about salvation. I, I, we say it all the time, but you talk to people around here, and a great majority of folks would say, oh, yeah, we're saved. But when you try to get them to clarify what they mean by being saved, what they mean by being saved and what the Bible says about being saved are two very different things. Have you found that to be true? Um, we, we can talk about things even this morning. I was reminded in Sunday school, um, there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. If you were to ask a, a, a typical Catholic person if they believe Jesus is a mediator, the answer is yes. But what came to my mind this morning is, is Mary is known as the mediatrix. So she helps you get to Jesus. But there's only one mediator between God and man. And it's not Mary. Um, and it's amazing to me how many times people say the same word, use the same words, talk about the same things, but they don't mean the same thing at all. You can talk to, and they've been brought up a lot, both groups, the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. They'll talk about Jesus Christ. They'll talk about him being the Christ. But who they define Jesus to be is not the Jesus of the Bible, either group. Uh, and so it's important that as Christians we learn to define terms and that we, we learn what the terms mean. And even in Christianity, there are terms that people use, and they have very different meaning. So we've been looking at this subject, or we began last week, and I, I told you I'd have an outline. And I do! So uh, thankfully, the Lord allowed me to get that done this week, and it covers some of the things that we already uh, have looked at. We'll review it quickly, and then we'll move on from there. Now, one of the reasons why we're dealing with the subject of repentance is because, especially in Christianity, there is some confusion about repentance. And I would say even in what we would call fundamental Christianity, there are very, very differing views on what repentance means. Uh, some people, like you see in the uh, information there, I, I did. I, I don't usually do this, but I did put Unger's Bible Dictionary, pretty much the definition we shared with you last week, because... I want you to know there's a lot of people who use that as a definition for repentance. And a lot of people that believe repentance is sorrow over sin, a turning from sin unto God, and, then, um, and, and if those things are not all part of the matter of repentance, and maybe even a little bit more than that, then you haven't repented. And we're trying to help you understand that that definition doesn't fit Scripture. And I hope you will see that. It does not fit Scripture. And that we can't make the, a word say, say more than it really says. By the way, we shouldn't make a word say less than it really says or means. We need to understand clearly what God has said. And uh, let me just give you an example of, of how it concerns me. And I hear things. An evangelist was speaking to a group of teens at a camp one time. 
It happened to be a camp that we had, uh, my wife and I had gone to, and we uh, took uh, probably 30 youngsters to this camp, and, and the message went something like this. I believe the church is made up of many phonies who haven't really been saved because they haven't really repented of their sins. No, I couldn't do it anything like he actually did it. Perhaps you, you're here and, and you've made some sort of profession, but if your life hasn't changed, if you, then you don't have real salvation. And for a good portion of the time, he went off on the subject of rock music. And it was kind of like this. If you love rock music, you probably aren't saved. Um, and, and he really ranted and railed on that quite a bit. Well, as a result, of, at the end of the message, a number of young people went forward to get saved. Uh, by the way, it was kind of surprising. There were, there were a few young people that had been faithful in our youth group, had, had, had been saved and given their testimony, been baptized. But um, they got saved that week. Now, uh, did they get saved? Um, maybe they did. Perhaps they had been faking it. By the way, that's possible. Um, and if you don't believe that's true, um, I ask you about Judas. How many people thought Judas was part of the family of God? Every one of the, every one of the apostles, every one of the followers of Christ. Do you know when he left to betray Jesus Christ, he had dipped the sop. The Bible talks about that. Remember Christ said, if you dip the sop, then that's the one that's going to betray me. He left. And none of the apostles, according to what the scriptures tell us in the book of John, none knew that Judas was going to betray him. None had a clue. They thought he was going to go out and give money to the poor because he was the one in charge of the money. By the way, you don't make the guy in charge of the money who's, who's corrupt. It's someone you trust. Am I right? Judas. People would have never known. Okay, well, I, I get off. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going off on a rabbit trail. Better not do that uh, for, for long. All right? We want to get back to the fact. This guy preached that message, and they were all talking about how many got saved. I had to deal with a number of young people after camp with the matter of assurance of salvation. And, um, and quite honestly, it was frustrating because there were some, some young people that their problem wasn't salvation. Their problem was they needed to get right with God. But because repentance was introduced in a way that was not consistent with Bible truth, it caused a lot of confusion in the hearts and minds of young people. By the way, this happens in, in places where repentance is preached like that. Bless God, if you like rock music, you can't be saved, you know, or something to that effect. Um, that, that when you do that and when you start preaching messages to get people to doubt, which, by the way, when God deals with salvation, his, his goal is to get people to be confident that they are saved. But when you start preaching messages like that to get people to doubt their salvation— what happens the next time they struggle with sin? What happens the next time they struggle with sin? Then we go back through the same thing again, and it happens, and it's a, a cycle that repeats itself. And I have observed it. I've seen it as a youth pastor working with teenagers, and, and I've seen it in working with adults as well. And people, because they're taught something incorrect about repentance, they have a struggle throughout life. So we need to know and understand what the Bible has to say 
about words like this. It really is important. And if you don't understand that, I, I'm just I'm hoping that maybe th- just taking a few moments to talk about it at the beginning here is, uh, will help you. Now, again, there very well were some young people that needed to be saved. And I rejoice in the fact that some got saved. I am I, not upset about that. But it's interesting to me how preaching like that is often so directed. Do you know I have yet to hear a, a message where a preacher says, you know what, if you lose your temper and you keep losing your temper, you're not saved. Why is it rock music that's so wrong but losing your temper isn't? And how come rock music shows, if you like it, that you're, you're, you're lost? But some people who, who enjoy blowing up, well, they don't afterwards with the aftermath, but they do, you know. They, they don't have any problem losing their temper and letting someone have it. That, uh, that people who aren't bothered by that um, are somehow, they're saved. They're okay. It's, it's amazing to me how many times we have issues that somehow show that someone's not saved and others that show they are saved. So what does God say about repentance? Um, do you does someone need to repent when they're struggling with sin? Now I don't want to justify or make make light of wrongdoing by a Christian. Sin in the life is serious. It's very serious. But if we use the scriptures or different words in a wrong way. We do people a great disservice in Christianity. So what does God have to say about repentance? You have the definition in front of you, right? Or did I leave the words out? No, I didn't leave it. See, I I gave it to you. All right, so let me just, uh, we shared with you a definition, and we're trying to be true to all of Scripture. So repentance is what? Just look at it again. A change of heart, mind, or purpose that comes from learned or observed realities, most often leading to purposeful action. Now, um, we'll, we'll talk more, and we're going to give you some things at the end that I hope will kind of uh, tie it all together and maybe uh, deal with some of the issues that people have questions about, like repentance and faith. Do both have to be preached? We'll get there, all right? We will get there, Lord willing. But I want to give you some declarations regarding repentance. And we left off here last week, and I said I was going to review, and I didn't review, did I? So let me just quickly go over the other things we already, we already mentioned because these are important. Uh, we gave you some definitions regarding repentance. We gave you an overall definition. But in the Old Testament, what does the word primarily, uh, or what does what the primary word for repentance mean? Okay. Now, I told you that that word is found a number of times in Scripture, and, and you probably didn't write it down because I told you I'd give you notes, right? But let me just share with you. It was found 108 different times in the Bible, uh, and in the Old Testament, sorry, 108 times. It's not always translated repent. Does anyone remember what the other word? It's, it, it, well, there are other words, but, but uh, there's two basic ideas. Does anyone remember? Repent is one. It's 40 times, by the way, or somewhere right around 40 times, it's repent. And then, does anyone remember? Comfort, yes. 
And get this, about 65 or so times, and there's kind of a little bit of, we'd have to look through things a little bit more definitely. So, okay, to make it for those that hate not having numbers correct, 68 times if you want to do it that way, all right? Uh, But some 68 times, it means to comfort. Uh, Now, uh, most of the time when it's used uh, in in the Old Testament, most of the time when you find it, it is not referring to man. And you know what it's used as repent? It's used more times as repent in reference to God than it is to men. Which, by the way, tells me repentance cannot be turning from sin. Can't be. It's impossible. Do you agree with that? If you're going to define repent as turning from sin, you have a serious problem with your theology. Because my God has never had to turn from sin. Ever. So it cannot mean, it absolutely positively cannot mean that. So uh, we, we already, yeah, I'd say we already took time and we looked at that fact. Now, in fact, let me just share with you. 24 times it tells us God repented or it was asking God to repent. Five or six additional cases we find God would not repent or did not repent. And twice that God is not like man and does not repent, which is interesting. Uh, Those two times, it's used in reference to the fact that men make promises and go back on them, and God said he would never go back on his promises. That was the idea of repent. If I make a promise, God says, I will keep my promise. And that's true, and God does keep his promises. And I'm thankful for that. So when we give definitions to to the word repent, we've got to be very careful that we do not make the word say something it cannot say. It cannot be Turning from sin. Although there are times where it is dealing with a matter of sin. And it is dealing with someone, uh, if you would, uh, ultimately uh, changing their ways from sinful ways. Uh, a great number of the times it's talking about God. In the New Testament, what does the word literally mean? All right. To think differently or change the mind. Uh, The words meta, after or again, and then nuo, which means exercise the mind. And and it really is to exercise the mind, to think again, to rethink this, to ponder this again, and come to a different conclusion. That's what it means. So there we have that change of heart, mind, or purpose that comes from learned or observed realities most often leading to purposeful action. All right, so let me give you some declarations regarding repentance. And we did leave off here, so I'm going to just share it with you, and I'm going to ask you for help. There are many motivations for repentance. Do you remember that? We tried to look at some. I have you in, or if I didn't tell you, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. All right, but what are some of the motivations? What's that? Fear. Fear, okay, yes. What are some other motivations? And I'll give you to them again. I'll give them to you again in, in a moment. So, Okay, guilt. Uh, guilt, and I, I'm going to tie them together, guilt and sorrow, because that was, is what many would say repentance is all about. It's guilt and sorrow over sin, and you feel so bad about it that you do something about it. So guilt and sorrow. The goodness of God. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? That the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. You will not hear a lot of repentance preaching uh, focused that way. Uh, You need to understand the goodness of God and repent. But 
if we're going to understand the word as Scripture uses it, that's how it is. The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. He says, when you consider what God has done for you, how good God has been to you in the matter of salvation. In fact, it's in Romans chapter 2 where we find that. I'll, I'll give it to you so you can have it in your notes in the proper place, all right? But when we see that, it's, uh, it's just it's dealing with the matter of sin and how you need to be saved, and it's the goodness of God that leads you to the place where you have a change of mind. Uh, and so, all right, good. So those are those are those are motives. So let me give you let me give you all of them. We'll go through here. First, first motivation would be sorrow, guilt or sorrow, guilt or sorrow. Now I'm going to say this emphatically: repentance is not sorrow or guilt over sin, but sorrow can and often is motivation to repentance. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and this is where we can prove that it is not sorrow, um, or repentance is not sorrow, that they are separate things. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, look at verse 9. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed. What? Okay, look, can sorrow be repentance? You sorrowed to sorrow. I'm glad you sorrowed to sorrow. Repentance cannot be sorrow. Now, does sorrow lead to it? Is a motivation to it? It is something that God uses? Yes. Is guilt and sorrow over wrong and things that have been done? Yes. In fact, the Old Testament, the idea of sorrow, uh, God had. But again, it wasn't sorrow over sin that he had done, but it was... It was sorrow over, he took pity on, he saw what was happening in the lives of these people, and he was moved by it. So that, that sorrow, the pity that he had, led him to change, to change his thinking, to do something different. Uh, and so it's a change of heart or mind or purpose. Not sinful, but uh, again, sorrow is not. And go on and look at it again. It says, for you made sorry after a godly manner that ye might receive damage by us and nothing for... What? Godly sorrow worketh repentance uh, to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. By the way, there are different kinds of sorrow. Uh, there are people that feel bad and do nothing about it. I felt bad about it. Some people try to feel bad and they try to cover over it. Some people try to feel bad and, um, and they try to do good to make those bad feelings go away. Um, but sorrow is certainly a motivation to repentance, but it is, cannot be part of repentance. It, it absolutely is contrary to the teaching of Scripture. You, you, can't, you wouldn't say, well, you sorrowed to repentance. He, he should have just said, you repented. If sorrow is part of repentance, it's not. It is separate from it. And we can prove that as well from Acts chapter 2. Uh, I believe we took a moment here, but turn to Acts chapter 2, and I'd like you to see it. In Acts 2, verse 37, the Bible tells us that the people were pricked in their heart. Why were they pricked in their heart? Because Peter had been preaching, and pre Peter had preached that Jesus Christ was God's Son that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he is the promised one, and that they killed the Messiah. 
He's preaching to Jews, by the way. At least that's primarily the crowd here. And these people, upon hearing this, feel guilt. They're, they're guilty about it. Guilt and sorrow, all right? There's this, something's wrong. Something's got to be done. So what was his message? Look, if you would, at verse 38, as we share with you. What was his message? Repent. Okay, why would he say repent if they're already sorrowful, if there's already guilt? Because sorrow is not part of repentance, but sorrow is a motivation to repentance. Sorrow often moves people to the matter of repentance. And it's often a realization, hey, I have done wrong, so sorrow. And if you study the usage of the word, you find that sorrow does motivate someone to have a change of mind, but um, it, it, is, it is not the only way. Then we talked about the goodness of God. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Romans 2, 4, goodness. Sorrow, goodness. Romans 2, 4, the goodness of God. And then uh, someone said this, but I, I will just give it a little bit. Fear of judgment. Fear of judgment. Does anyone remember uh, what passage we introduced that gave us the picture where we're told to repent because of fear of judgment? You slept since then. I understand. I have two, but I have it in my notes, so I can cheat a little bit here. All right, Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. Look at Luke chapter 13, and someone read verse 3 for me. Luke 13, 3. Someone get it, if you would? Yeah, go ahead, Peter, if you would. All right, so when Jesus preached, and by the way, this is Jesus preaching, Jesus understood that, that it may not be sorrow that causes you to repent. What does he say? If You, you need to repent. Why? You're going to perish because there's punishment coming. Fear. Look, if you don't get saved, judgment's coming. Fear can certainly be a motive. So if someone says, well, look, if you haven't sorrowed, if you haven't felt sorrow and guilt over your sin, you haven't repented, then they don't understand what Jesus taught. Look in verse 5. You say, well, we didn't understand the message of Jesus, or that wasn't the complete message. What did he preach again in verse 5? Same thing. All right, hey, get the message. You need to repent because there is hell. Now, when someone says some people use the fear of hell in a simple prayer as a fire escape from judgment, but they've never repented, I, I, it concerns me. It concerns me. Um, I believe I understand that they're saying, look, if, if you're just saying a prayer to get it done, to get someone off your back because, you know, or because... You heard that there's a hell, and you're going to say a prayer, and you're going to go on your merry way. Now I'm saved. Um, I understand that um, if someone has no concept of their sinfulness, of their need for Jesus Christ, if there's no change of mind, we've, they've had no, no real salvation. By the way, if they haven't had a change of mind, they haven't repented. All right? Um, but do not mistake, mistake in the fact that someone can be fearful of hell and get saved. Psalm 130 says this, If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? And then, and that's verse 3. In verse 4 of Psalm 130, the psalmist went on and said, But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be 
feared. Um, you know, there is forgiveness with God. And there is a righteous uh, fear of God and of judgment that can often lead us to come to God and say, I need, I need a Savior. I need you. So fear of judgment. The fourth area, this is interesting, and we didn't mention it last week, so I want to give it. Longing for eternal life. Longing for eternal life. You say, no, that can't lead people to, to change their mind, to have this change of heart and mind. Yes, it can. Yes, it can. Um, now, I already shared with you the fact that in John, the book of John, there's a word we don't find. And that is? Repent. You don't find the word repent or repentance. Does repentance take place in the book of John? Absolutely, positively. How do we know that repentance takes place? Because the book of John was written that you might believe, and that believing you might have eternal life, life through his name. But do you know that when Jesus Christ talked with the woman at the well in John chapter 4, his focus was not on her sinfulness and on making her feel guilty over her wrong, although that was brought up. What was the focus and what led her to have a change of mind? What What did Jesus tell her? He says, I've got living water, and if you want it, if you ask me for it, I'll give it to you. So what was the motive for her repentance? It wasn't, you are a wicked sinner, woman. By the way, she she knew that, which tells me something. People don't always need a change of mind about sin. Some already know clearly they're sinners and they're in in need of, of God's salvation. Some people will tell you. Well, I'll split hell wide open. Have you ever heard someone make a statement like that? I know if I died, I'd split hell wide open because that's what I deserve. Some people already know. They don't need to change their mind about that, but they need to change their mind about God and maybe about, about Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done. So people need to change their mind about different things. We'll maybe talk about that a little bit later on. But the motive here for the woman at the well was, give me this water that I'll never thirst again. That's what I want. And that led to her change of mind. That led to her salvation. So don't be mistaken. If someone says, you haven't, you haven't felt bad enough, so you're not saved. They don't put it that way. But if you hear preaching like that, understand that, that those are not completely true to Scripture. Some people long for eternal life. Some people fear judgment. Some people rejoice in the goodness of God, and others are sorrowful over the wrong and sin. And all of them, if they come to repentance, a change of mind, all of them are saved the same way. I'm thankful for that. I really am. And I hope you are as well. So, There are many motivations for repentance. These are, again, just kind of declarations we're making because I don't have a sweet, nice outline that follows alliteration. So here we go. Repentance, number two, is a change of mind, not a change of direction. Is a change of mind, not a change of direction. Maybe you've heard someone say, you need to turn from your sin unto God. That's what repentance is. Well, that's not what repentance is. Now, repentance is part of that equation. But repentance is not turning from sin unto God. You say, can you prove that? 
I'm glad you asked. Turn, if you would, to Acts 26. Acts 26. I think we made reference to this, but I want you to see it once again and kind of get it in the outline so you have it. Acts 26, and in verse 20, um, Paul was talking about the fact that he wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision. But then he began right away. By the way, this is an amazing thing. Paul got saved, and he began right away to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Immediately. By the way, um, it's amazing. People do different things after they're saved. Some people change drastically. Some people not so much. You say, why is that? Well, one hasn't repented. The other has. Where, where's your biblical authority for that? Um, so what does it say in verse 20? Someone read it for me. Okay, there's repentance, turning from sin unto God. All right, how do we know it can't be? Because he makes the distinction, doesn't he? Paul understood that repentance is not turning from sin unto God. It's not. It's a change of mind. It leads to turning from one thing to another. It's a change of mind. And Paul understood that there was indeed a difference. Now you say, well, well, that's just that's just one uh, that's one verse. Um, well, uh, the truth of the matter is, and you say we're we're splitting hairs, but it is it cannot be turning from sin unto God. Repentance and turning from sin are two different things. By the way, one can have a change of mind without turning. There are people who are guilty over their sin who never received Jesus Christ as Savior. They've had a change of mind. Maybe they thought they were fine, but they started to realize they're, they're sinners. Let, let me share with you a gentleman that, that God gave me an opportunity a number of years ago to deal with. Um, a gentleman had a very difficult life dominated by sin. And uh, I don't even remember how it happened, but God gave me an opportunity to, to meet with this, this guy and, and just do kind of a... a not a discipleship because he was lost, but it was more counseling and dealing with this man who was overcome by, by drug, a drug addiction and a number of things that were just ruining his life. In fact, it was ruining his marriage. I think his wife came to church, that's what it was, and, and, and basically she said, I'm done with this marriage unless something happens. And he was willing to meet and he was willing to talk. And, and for a number of weeks we met and we dealt with a, a lot of things that were going on in his life. But he came in the process of really over a number of weeks to the realization that he needed Jesus Christ. But he kept saying to me, look, I, I first I've got to turn my life around and then I'll get saved. I, I need to start doing things differently. And if I can get rid of the drugs and if I can get rid of this and, and, and I kept saying, look, what you need is Jesus Christ and he can help you and he will help you in the matter of turning your life around after you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, each week when I left, because he said that numerous times, I urged him to trust Christ. And I told him that turning his life around wasn't the answer. Christ was. 
Now, he had been experiencing, I believe, repentance, a change of mind. But he had to finally make the decision to turn, and it's different. There's a difference between, I realize I'm a sinner, I can't do anything about it, and then receiving Christ. And that's what he said, I preach repentance and turning to God. That's what Peter, which Paul said he did. People need to understand that. And, um, and that was what I was having. Now, look, it's, it's not right because I observed it. It's right because the Bible says it. Um, but it is encouraging to be able to see in life what the Bible talks about. Repentance is a change of mind. Um, and, in fact, in Acts 20, 21, the Bible says, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And, by the way, when repentance is talked about, there is no passage in Scripture that ever says turning, except for one that distinguishes that the repentance and turning are two different things. Um, so, there you have it. Um, God wants us to, to understand that. Fourth, the third thing, fourth, fourth, third thing, let us see. Repentance is not about works after salvation. We already state a repentance is a change of mind, not a change of direction. It's not turning to God, although it often brings us to that point. Repentance is not about works after salvation. Maybe you've heard something. There's no evidence of a repentant heart. Um, look in Acts 20, 26, 20. You're there, right? Okay, look at it again and tell me if repentance and works are the same thing. They're, they're not. They're not. Look at what it says at the end of the verse. They should repent and turn to God, and then what? Okay, if, if works mean repentance, then why are we told in Scripture to do works meet for repentance? Because Works and repentance are not the same thing. Someone can change the mind and not have. By the way, someone can change the mind and turn to God. But not have works that are made for repentance. Thus the challenge. I encourage people. He says, I preach to repent and turn to God. And then to do works that are made for, appropriate for, fitting. That's what it means. Uh, if you have a change of mind, it's appropriate to back it up with action. But repentance is not a change of action. Now, is there further uh, proof of that? Turn to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5. Repentance and works inseparably united. You know, turn from sin to God. And there's got to be a change of life or you're not saved. Okay, is there a difference between works and repentance? In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5, Jesus Christ speaking to the churches, speaking to believers, by the way, he tells them what are they supposed to do. Or did I have, do I have the wrong reference? <laughs> I thought it would be clear, so it's either I need to get the right reference or not. So someone read it, and I'll see if it's the right reference. Okay, is there a difference between repentance and works? 
Okay, repent. Have a change of mind. Why would Christ say what he says after that? And do. Why? Because repentance and works are not the same thing. Because they are different things. Now, are, is, is that fitting? Is that appropriate? Should someone's life change? Absolutely. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 8, you don't have to, have to take time to look there. John the Baptist condemned the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And he said, bring therefore fruits meet for repentance. There are works that are meet for, they're appropriate for, but, they, but repentance is not a change of action. In dealing with the matter of forgiveness, Christ said, take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, what are you supposed to do? Forgive him. We mentioned that, I think, even this morning. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee saying, I repent, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to forgive him. If repentance involves works, you shouldn't forgive someone until they show it. But repentance doesn't involve works. It's a change of mind. I realize I've done wrong. Now, if someone does seven things in a day to me that are offensive, I got a problem I want to deal with. <laughs> but the problem is they haven't repented. Christ said if they say it, take them at their word. I've had a change of mind. Now you say, well, they don't show it. But Christ said forgive them. Christ didn't say wait until they show that they've really repented. Because works and repentance are different things. Uh, I, I've said this before. We, we can't read the mind. So we can't see whether repentance has really taken place. By the way, we can't see whether belief has really taken place. And I've already made mention of this, but doesn't, don't the, doesn't the Bible prove this? All right, two people. First, again, Judas. Judas had everyone duped. Everyone would have thought, if you asked anyone in Christianity in that day who would walk with Jesus Christ, is Judas real? Has he repented? How many do you think would have answered yes, absolutely, affirmatively? Uh, yeah, all but one, and that's because he knew the mind and heart of people. Every one of them would have been fooled because repentance is an action. Someone can do the right actions and not have repented. Okay? The other side is true. Can you give me a biblical example? All right, Lot. You, you look at Lot's life. Read about Lot in the, in the book of Genesis, and, and you tell me one positive thing you see about Lot's life that says, I'm a Christian. You won't find it. He pitches his tent towards Sodom. He chooses the well-watered plains. Everything about his life says, I'm living for myself. And if you were to ask, has Lot repented? But what does God say about Lot in the book of Peter? That righteous man vexed, the Bible says he vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Everything about Lot's life, you, you, uh, you look at the things. He offered his daughters 
to the men of Sodom. I don't, I don't care who you're trying to protect. You don't offer your daughters. Uh, this guy is just unbelievable. But it's 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 to 9, where, where he would have fooled just about everyone in this day. In fact, uh, there would have been preachers who, would, who were talking about him. They said, you haven't repented of your life, does it? I mean, Lot would have been in the service, and everyone would have been thinking, man, he's the guy. He needs this message today. Uh, but a lot was saved. Um, the Pharisees, I think, are, are a picture of that. Their lives said, we're part of the family of God, but their hearts were far from God. They had never repented. So repentance is not works. Now, I'm going to just give you the last thing, and you'll love me for this one, but I just wanted to share it because it's found a number of times in Scripture. Repentance is a gift. It's kind of unrelated, but I want to at least share it with you because we do find... And you can write down these references. We don't have time to look them up. Acts chapter 5 and verse 31. Acts 5, 31. Acts chapter 11 and verse 18. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Acts 5, 31. Acts 11, 18. Romans 2, 4. 2 Timothy 2, 25. And in each one of those places, God granted repentance unto life. Do you know God did that with Cornelius? God granted repentance. You say, well, Pastor, you're, you're bringing in Calvinism. No, I'm not. I'm just trying to share with you what the scriptures tell us. Now you say, well, why did God grant it? Because they were willing and they were interested. Because they saw themselves and, and God then granted them repentance just like God grants faith to anyone who's willing. But at least we should know that the Bible does talk about that. God desires all to come to repentance, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. So anyone who, who's willing to, to, to consider and to rethink things, God is willing to grant them that change of mind. And that's encouraging to know, isn't it, when you deal with people? All right, we'll get to determinations regarding repentance next time, and, um, and we'll try to tie this all up uh, and answer some of the questions that, Actually, a few that have already been asked, and I appreciate that. We'll try to answer the question of, do you have to preach faith and repentance? Um, we'll try to answer a little bit further, what is the definition, and, and what things do we need to know and shouldn't, and should we not make as part of repentance? And, um, and it is my, my prayer that this will help you when you listen to preaching. It'll help you in your own mind uh, to know and understand what is repentance about. And then may we uh, just please the Lord and earnestly contend for the faith because we know uh, what the faith is. Father,